Today, for our first episode, we are going to be diving into perhaps one of the most consequential decisions of the entire piece. The choice of Huck and Jim to head south along the Mississippi River across directly into Illinois, where slavery had already been abolished. Specifically, we will be looking into the viability viability, excuse me, of traveling either across or along the Mississippi River and the influence that legislation such as the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 may have had may have had in their decision processes. This episode of Huck in History is brought to you by Audible, an Amazon company. Audible has the largest selection of books that you could possibly ask for. And when you sign up now, you get a 30-day free trial, two free audiobooks each month, and one free Audible original each month. If you like us and you like to get lit to some literature, you should join Audible so you can crank your favorite books anywhere, anytime. Disclaimer to the listener, we understand that our podcast may encompass some potentially sensitive and controversial material and would like to make it clear that it is not our intention to offend anyone. All comments are simply our interpretation of an American classic. All episodes were recorded in one take and minor errors may be present in our content. Without any more stalling, why don't we dive into our planned program? So we're going to be looking at to what extent would the Fugitive Slave Act deter fugitive slaves from passing through the states? Was the decision of Huck and Jim to bypass the state reasonable? Would others have made the same decision? Well, this is certainly um, an, a, a very um, pivotal decision made by both Huck and Jim as it really sets up the plot that ensues in like in the piece because had they not chosen heads up along the Mississippi, the adventures of of the like of the piece simply would not have happened. <clears throat> However, um when we are looking at you know when they first meet um after they run away which is on which is on Jackson's Island um, it is noted that Jackson's Island is only a quarter of a mile from the Illinois sh- from the Illinois shore, and it also it is also worth noting that the state of Illinois, um, in the state of Illinois, slavery had been outlawed um, at that time, and as such, of course, the the question arises: like, why, why, why are Jim and Huck? Not crossing directly onto the free soil of the of the state of, of Illinois, which is only a quarter of a mile away. How um and in, initially, one of the the uh, the thoughts is that they're not crossing because of the enforcement, or the at least the possibility of the enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act of of seventeen ninety three, and in this in in a Second, we are going to take a, a, a dive into the historical background of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793. But for the time being, I think we should note that indeed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 is, uh, would have, uh, could have possibly been a factor in their choice. Uh, so, so essentially the background of the, of the Fugitive Slave Act, so the Fugitive Slave Act was one of the most controversial pieces 
of legislation during the 19th century. And the, essentially the idea of the fugitive slave legislation, um, it actually it initially appeared on the, on the constitution when it was written in 1887. And it was essentially a compromise that was pushed by legislators from the South as the fugitive slave uh, clause basically offered them some sort of, at least they thought, you know, some sort of protection to like to the system of slavery that um that really formed the background of these other states economies but they really pushed this because because they feared that uh slaves from their states would would escape and would try to travel and achieve freedom in a state such as pennsylvania or new york and actually in this sense the Constitution actually did address slavery, at least uh, address slavery, or at least how it would relate to free stage, which is something that most uh, students in elementary school are taught that the Constitution did not address slavery, but indeed the, the fugitive slave uh, clause did actually address it, at least in how is in as to how it related in free stage. However, um, about so six years. Later, we see the Fugitive Slave Act in 1793 being passed, which was passed as a result of the debate from Southern legislators that the uh, that is that they were saying that the slave debate actually drove a wedge between the newly formed nation. They were basically saying that this specific like this clause of the Constitution and and the state's disagreement is threatening to tear up our newly formed country. And of course, because our because the legislators um, in uh, all of the United States, they they did not want the newly formed nation to break up. They pushed a compromise, and this compromise came in the form of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, which was a little more uh, specific, and it essentially allowed it allowed us uh, like. It allowed the owners of fugitive slaves or uh, essentially slave catchers who could be hired by a, a slave owner or who could be trying to like hunt down a slave so that they could they could return them to their owner in return uh, for the basically the reward. So bounty hunters. Kind of bounty hunters? Wait, yeah. sorry, what was that? That, yeah. that they were bounty hunters. That yes. Would be the yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. But then, um, as you kind of, as this, uh, as this keeps moving along, like, um, it, eventually we will see the establishment of vigilance committees, around the 1830s in major northern cities such as Philadelphia and New York which sought to protect fugitive slaves from slave hunters and the bounty hunters, uh, who by the Fugitive Slave Act per were permitted to uh, search within the borders of a free state. And these committees soon expand. And this is an example of the backlash towards this legislation viewed from northern states. So in this way, although this legislation existed, it's not necessarily certain that that th that the northern states where it could possibly be enforced would actually even support it, which could have which could potentially 
I guess undermine the validity of Puck and Jim's um, of potential reason to not cross over because had like a Northern state not have been enforcing it because they, they disagreed with the legislation, they likely would have not um, have faced that threat. And so I and also it's very important to basically think of the future of slave class as like a as like something similar to what we see today of like an extradition treaty where um basically the people in the south where you know the slave slavery slave enslaved labor was a fundamental part of their economy they could be secure in like the knowledge that like they wouldn't lose their property if it moved to another state and um also it is it is worth noting that without this excuse me it is somewhat likely that the United States would have not been formed. And as such, like, it's important to like ask ourselves, was this compromise worth it? Is it justifiable? That's something uh, we will return to in just one second. And also, it is also in, it's interesting that the Fugitive Slave Act uh, of 1853 was actually passed as a, as a more detailed and more specific version of the Fugitive Slave uh, Act of 1850. And that's um, because essentially the Southern legislators, they wanted something that gave them more, like that really helped them to enforce the original idea of the Fugitive Slave Clause that they felt that the existing legislation was not, not specific enough. And this in itself shows the ineffectiveness of the Fugitive Slave Acts. And also, and that's because one of the major things is they, they did not specify who was responsible for, uh, for enforcing this act. It did not call upon local authorities or federal authorities. It was very vague. And as such, it was very, very hard to enforce. And the thing that is worth noting about the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 is that it was only repealed in 1864 at which point Congress was in the North. So there was no Southern vote to oppose the repeal. So the Fugitive Slave Act was never actually repealed with the entire like United States, if you include the states that proceeded to the Confederacy. It was only the North that, that, re, that repealed it. And it's not unlike how even today in the state of Alabama, they have yet to... Uh, remove the clause from their state constitution that details like the segregation of schools, even after they've had multiple referendums. It's still not been removed. And um, of course, the vigilance committees were not the only uh, were not the only form of voting backwards. Even states attempted to uh, to kind of Lash back at the legislation, the court of law, such as the um, such as the case of Pennsylvania versus Prigs, which essentially the state of Pennsylvania, they charged uh, a, a Maryland man. I, I believe he, he was from Maryland, but they so they charged him with the kidnapping of a black man 
from the state of Pennsylvania. And ultimately, this did go to a federal court where it was, uh, where it actually ruled in favor of Prigs, where basically uh, the Fugitive Slave Act was um, that what he was doing was actually not was actually not kidnapping. However, the justice that okay, yeah. So the the justice was just a story who ruled against Pennsylvania um, in favor of Prigs as though like, as it was unconstitutional. He actually said privately many times that he did not like the verdict that he had delivered and he himself was against slavery. And this is another example of um, like of of the risks that can occur when people automatically associate the American Constitution with the good, which also like another example you can see later in, in history would be the Japanese internment camps during World War II, which which one could argue solidly that they did not violate the, the Constitution as it was during wartime. And was this compromise worth it? And is it justifiable? What are you, what are your thoughts? Honestly, when we, I mean, when we think about compromises in American history, we think about two parties coming together and reaching you know, a certain understanding or, you know, an agreement, correct? Eventually, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. something that we also see in United United States history, excuse me, is in 1819, uh, the Missouri Compromise. It was a massive, you know, agreement between two parties, the, the North and the South, and it was, it was a circumstance where, you know, uh, it admitted Maine to the United States as a free state. You see, this caused a lot of controversy. And simultaneously with Missouri as a slave state. So that opened up more slavery, you know, uh, areas. And it just caused a lot of controversy as well. But they, you know, they reached this equanimity between two parties and they found an agreement by doing such. Mm-hmm. I think I think when you think of compromise, when you think of two parties coming together, despite previous violence or arguments that may have happened before, because most of the time, especially in politics, there's not a compromise without some sort of major disagreement that goes down but going back to the question of was it worth it i think it definitely was because eventually at the end of a compromise that usually brings upon unity and as mentioned the compromise kind of the clause made the united states and the compromise made the united states it brought people together despite the disagreement so i think if that wasn't there there would just be so many different ideas and beliefs that could potentially still going on at the time when this was repealed Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's important when you think of a compromise to understand that people are coming together, which is uniting them, which eventually made the United States. But Absolutely. Also, like, I feel like I agree with that. But also, there's a lot of controversy with compromises. Well, yeah, no, exactly. There has like, to be. When you, when you admit, when you admit, like, for example, Missouri into a slave state, and you're causing more of this chaos to go on in the South, you know, you're going to cause rebellions as well. Like, we see this with, you know, Nat Turner's rebellion. I'm not saying this happened directly after or before, you know, the Missouri Compromise, but mm-hmm. I'm saying this kind of disagreement leads to these kinds of rebellions. Yeah. And Nat Turner's slave rebellion was a slave rebellion that took place 
in, I think, Southampton County, Virginia, mm-hmm. in about 1831. And the the slaves that rebelled killed, you know, from, I think, like, I don't know, I think about 60 people to 100. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a lot of them were being, they were white. And this rebellion was, you know, it was for a lot of days. And I just think the reason for these rebellions is just the, just all this controversy boiling up into a point where it's just not controllable. That's why I think these these compromises were kind of unfair throughout American history. Well, yeah, well, I mean, absolutely, but also, like, of course, these compromises are unfair because of the question of who is, like, who pays the price? Right, right. Who's benefiting? Exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. And, I mean, and that is, who I decides definitely that? Who, like, who decides who will have to pay the price? In this case, in the Fugitive Slave Act, it is America's enslaved labor population. That's, I mean, yeah, they pay the price, but what for sure. is that? But is it okay for legislators to make a specific group pay the, like, feel the pain of their compromise simply to have the compromise? Right. I mean, there's a lot of paying the price. I mean, I honestly think that these compromises, you know, compromises during slavery were not really compromises that benefited the slaves. They were compromises that benefited the profits of exactly. these, of these uh, you know, white individuals or these slave owners or these plantation owners. It was all about profit. I mean, if we mm-hmm. look at these compromises, I mean, there was nothing going towards the benefit of slaves in the southern states or just, you know, history in general. As, as much times. as it may seem like that was happening when all these facts and examples are stated, uh, going going with Leo, really, it really didn't mean much for the slaves themselves, how they were treated, how they were looked at, none of that, which is important to relate back to Huck and Jim, because despite whatever happens, Jim is still going to be looked at as the African-American that he is, who is going to be treated differently and thought of differently and looked at differently by the people he encounters along his journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, with these answers to our first question that we've discussed, it leads us into our next question of would fugitive slaves really use the Mississippi to travel towards freedom? How do the geographic feature and the current of the river help or deter this type of escape? All right. So first of all, I would just like to say um, that the Mississippi River was it was a massive route that slaves would take towards freedom and the thing about the mississippi river it was a very very it was kind of extremely hard to swim across it it was dangerous it was yeah there's terrain i mean uh there was uh, and there was just a lot of you know under there's a lot of undercurrent going on um and especially swimming up upstream was extremely difficult but i know for a fact that a lot of slaves would would swim to the other side to try to escape to freedom well, okay, so while it is true that many uh, that there actually were several recorded incidents of slaves attempting to swim across the Mississippi, it is worth noting that the like the actual uh, well, first the risk of the Mississippi at some point make it a very long crossing. It's like it's like over a mile wide. At some point, right. and, yeah. and and also the currents are extremely dangerous. Like even now, it is like each year, many people drown trying to swim across, like to try to like trying to swim in the Mississippi, and that's because the 
Mississippi's parents, they are just extremely powerful. And indeed, that's actually why Mark Twain has a, uh, he was quoted saying that the Mississippi River will always have its own way. No engineering skill can persuade it to do it otherwise. And it is a known fact that Mark Twain, in fact, in fact did have a large appreciation for the Mississippi. And that actually may be one of the reasons why he, um, why he uh, included the, Missi- the Mississippi in his in his literature, but in but like in the actual text um, on page seventy four of the third Northern Critical Edition version of the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, <clears throat> we see that they essentially have this uh, this point that they decide that if a boat were to come along. You know, as they are making their initial, uh, essentially their initial break from from Jefferson's Island, if a boat was to was to come along, they were going to break for the Illinois shore, and ultimately a boat did not come. But that shows that the idea of simply crossing the Mississippi Mississippi certainly crossed their mind, and was a a viable option. However, they did not execute it, as they did not have to escape an oncoming ship. And also, I think due to the fact you know that they're on a raft and they're not just trying to swim, because also it's unclear as to what their like what their swimming ability is, aside from when they would hop in sometimes and, and kind of swim like around the raft, um, which happens all the you know throughout uh, later throughout the book or the piece. Um, so as, as such, I don't really think that it was an issue for at least Huck and Jim to cross the Mississippi as a result of like geographic constraints or the current of the river. I just I I really feel as though like the main the main issue would be ultimately the would be the slave act we talked about earlier. However, while the while like while this threat was historically accurate, I'm not sure if the threat would have been as real as like like if the threat would have been as as serious as they may have played it out to be and in terms of how it influenced their decision it may have had an odd and oddly like large influence over their their decision however it may have been difficult for them to know about the the north's um, disobedience to this piece of legislation. But I would say that um, the Mississippi River itself, like the street, just like simply crossing it. Very hard. I don't don't think, well, it's hard, but I don't think it would have been out of of the question realistically for Huck and Jim. Honestly, I, I kind of agree with that. But if you think about it, like imagine... Imagine the situation where in the book they decide to go through with this plan and cross the Mississippi River. What if, you know, what if, you know, that's easier to find for other people that may have been looking for them. Maybe that's why they went further. Right. I mean, you you really but you have to think about it. Slave and you're escaping. Imagine how strategic and how secretive you have to be to try to navigate because it's it's like. It's it's extremely dangerous. What? I mean, one one bad step you can take, and 
you know, you're back in slavery or you're being lynched or you're being, you know, held captive again. You just never know. And you bring up a good point because not all slaves understood the area that they were at and the, uh, and the route Amen. they had to yeah. take to get there to where they wanted to be, which resulted in a lot of people being found or killed or drowned. Right. I mean, there really wasn't. There really it was a wasn't, big risk. You know... Regardless, the Mississippi was a risk to take for any slave trying to get to where they wanted to be. Absolutely. Yeah. But but also, like, I mean, I like, would they have tried, like, would they have taken that risk because of their, their, like, their dire situation in, in battle slavery? Well, I think, I think if anybody's, I mean, I think I can't speak for them, obviously. Yeah, but I do course. think it would be no, no, worth it if they did try to escape just based on their situation as it is. As it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see in history how horribly they were treated. So any shot they can take to get to freedom, I mean, why not? Uh, well, that wraps up our first episode. Join us next time as we tackle the society that Huck and Jim come across during their journey, along with a special guest star. Mm-hmm.